Isaiah 6, these are the words of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. Yahweh has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet, a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The backdrop of Isaiah, uh, uh, really chapters 1 through 5, uh, which was the preface to the book. And remember that in it the Lord has been describing uh, how his people uh, deserve great wrath. They've committed great sin, even against great advantages and privileges and helps that God has given them. Uh, and uh, because they've committed great sin against great advantages, they deserve great wrath. But there have already been hints, promises, uh, of a salvation to come. Uh, now, one of the themes uh, of the book of Isaiah is going to be the failure uh, of other kings, uh, so that uh, at the end, in the two sections, the two great sections, uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, the first great section will be Jesus as the suffering servant, the the good one who suffers, um, uh, and uh, then also Jesus uh, as the great king, uh, who is finally uh, not not just his people, but all the people uh, from all the nations uh, have needed. And here there is a preview of that, uh, because there's a king who was a good king until the end of his reign, and we could uh, you uh, could go read in Second Chronicles about uh, Azariah or Uzziah. It's the same one. Uh, and his 52-year reign, and 
uh, the sin towards the end of his reign, but uh, for the most part, he was a quote-unquote good king. Um, and yet, yeah, that's just the point. Uh, the good kings have flaws, and in addition to their moral flaws, uh, they die. And that's how this chapter starts. The year that King Uzziah died. Uh, Ahaz, who follows him, is not going to be a good king. Uh, certainly his character would already have been known. Uh, and uh, this is um, a dreadful thing uh, for Judah. Uh, that King uh, Uzziah has died and King Ahaz is coming to the throne. Uh, but the vision that Isaiah has is much more dreadful because, uh, I hope, we love him. Uh, we read and think of verses uh, 1 through 4 uh, with admiration and adoration and sweet to us. Um, but Isaiah did not feel like singing you know, this uh, kind of sweet, melodic, uh, holy, holy. No, what he saw and what he heard was terrifying because there was a king that was unimaginably higher than Uzziah. And it wasn't just the heavens that were filled with his glory. This king is on a throne, high and lifted up. He is served by flame creatures who hide their faces from him because of how great his glory is. And then they announce that his glory fills the earth, not just the heavens. And so he hears, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts, Jehovah of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so for Isaiah, this is a little bit similar to the uh, Gehazi moment. Remember, Elisha prays that Gehazi's eyes would be open and he sees the armies of God. Uh, but this is much more terrifying because now he knows that not only are, do the armies of God uh, surround invisibly and, and fill invisibly the earth, but Yahweh himself, the high and glorious one, his holiness, his glory fills the earth, albeit invisibly to us. And this is why he says not only, I am a man of unclean lips. And so the whole earth is filled with God's glory. Every, every inappropriate thought, any, every inappropriate word I have spoken was spoken in the presence of the glory of the holy God. But he dwells even in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And how can it be? that the glory of God and the, uh, has not broken out against them. The, uh, the armies of, the, uh, of Yahweh of hosts, the hosts of Yahweh, have not broken out against them. Uh, surely Isaiah himself and the people uh, more generally, surely Isaiah himself and the people more generally are in great danger. And so it's not just that he has seen Yahweh of hosts, and that's why he's undone. But he has seen, he has had a glimpse of the glory with which the earth is filled. And it's that glory and the one whom he has seen that is the reason that he is, that he is undone. The, the people who dwell 
in the midst of whom he dwell. They haven't seen the king, have they? Uh, and yet, this dwelling in the midst of them is uh, is a great part of this. So his great his first glimpse of the flame or the burning, we'll call it, uh, of God's glory, uh, is a terrifying one. Uh, the second glimpse uh, is an atoning one. And one of the seraphim, one of um, the flame beings, the flame ones, the fire ones, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal. That doesn't mean in the palm of his hand. How do we know that? Because, uh, rest of verse 6, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And so the uh, the flame of the glory, the fire, the burning of the glory uh, of God uh, with respect to this altar is so great uh, that this uh, seraph, uh, this fire being, uh, does not touch it with his own hand. What he does touch it to is Isaiah's mouth. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin. That God will express the greatness of his glory, not by burning uh, up, consuming for at first uh, sinful speakers uh, in his wrath, but he will express the greatness of his glory by atoning for them. This is what Romans 3 is talking about when it says that the Lord Jesus was exhibited as a propitiation. That which is represented here in the vision as so hot and fiery that a seraph can't handle it, literally, burned itself out upon the Lord Jesus. When he has consumed all of the wrath that is due to all of the sin of everyone who has ever hoped in him, believed in him. Uh, he is the one who consumed uh, the wrath that was due to the sin of Isaiah. Uh, and so God displays himself glorious uh, in uh, danger to sinners, judgment upon them, the receipt of uh, of the worship of angels and, uh, and holy men, uh, verses 1 through 5. God displays himself glorious, in atoning for sinful men that they may be forgiven verse 6 and God displays himself glorious in the plan of redemption in which he gathers and sanctifies for himself uh, an entire church uh, of these whom he is saving and that's what's happening in verses 8 through 13 um, the Lord asks for a volunteer uh, Isaiah, who's had his sins, uh, the sins of his tongue uh, just now, um, the sins of his lips just now forgiven him, uh, volunteers. He's, uh, he's eager to use his lips well. Uh, and what he's told is that he's going to have uh, a ministry that uh, deafens the ears, blinds the sight, and hardens the heart of the people. Uh, and he knows what this means. This is not atonement. Uh, these people who need to have their ears opened so that they can 
hear the holy, holy, holiness of God and the glory of God. And their eyes open so that they can see and their hearts open so that they can understand and repent. And God says, no, I don't want them to repent. They don't deserve to repent. That's what he says in the end of verse 10 when he explains the purpose of Isaiah's ministry. It's going to be a hardening ministry so that they don't return. Uh, they don't repent and get healed. And Isaiah asks the obvious question, how long, how far is he going to destroy them all? Is he going to destroy forever? And the Lord does give a very bleak outlook uh, of the exile and the judgment that is coming, verses 11 and 12. But then in verse 13, but yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for, and this word for consuming is actually another word that has to do with fire. And so he's describing here a uh, a uh, fire that is purging and cleansing and preparing. And when he names the stump um, in verse 13, he calls it not stump of fire or ashes or anything like that. He names the stump. That's what's uh, that's what's happening at the end of verse thirteen. He names the stump holy seed uh, that the Lord intends to build for Himself a church, a church that will grow. It's a seed, but it is consecrated unto Him as holy, uh, and so He is going to display His glory not only uh, in uh, as an object of worship. Uh, that uh, is dangerous to us, verses 1 through 5, not only by atoning for us, particularly the atonement of Christ, verse 6, but also in this plan of redemption, uh, in which, yes, uh, there are going to be these times of reformation and purification, uh, these times of judgment, uh, and yet uh, the Lord is reserving for himself a remnant, and as we find out throughout the book, a remnant from all the nations of those for whom he is atoning, those whom he is giving repentance that the uh, that the ministry of Isaiah was designed to prevent, and yet there are those to whom he is going to give that repentance. Uh, and uh, this would be a great encouragement to Isaiah uh, that although his part in the plan is unpleasant, the plan itself, is a plan of great mercy uh, that the Lord would build himself a church who would be atoned for, who would be consecrated to him, uh, who would be like Isaiah, having been forgiven for their sins, uh, would become willing uh, to serve the Lord. Uh, and whenever they, the moment that they hear something that God wants, they'd say, here I am, uh, I will do. Uh, what the Lord has designed in Isaiah's case, it will go for us. Here I am, send here am I, send me. Uh, but uh, the Lord preserving for himself a remnant uh, who will be holy. Uh, and then the stump language, of course, uh, will become uh, even more encouraging as we hear about the shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse uh, and the Lord Jesus himself uh, being not just our sacrifice, like we think about a little bit um, in verses 6 and 7, 
uh, but our um, our righteousness. And this is, of course, uh, a great reminder that the one who does this is God himself, not just a man. John says of, uh, in John chapter 12, uh, verses 37 through 41, uh, that uh, Isaiah says the things uh, in verses 9 and 10, when he beheld Jesus's glory. Well, who is the king whose glory that Isaiah beheld in Isaiah chapter 6? Verse 5 answers, Yahweh of hosts. It's impossible to be a genuinely Bible-believing person and not believe that Jesus is Yahweh of hosts, whose glory threatens us and demands our worship, whose glory atones for us, and whose glory is expressed also in gathering to himself a remnant whom he is atoning for and will make holy by his own righteousness. Praise God for this, uh, these ways in which he displays his glory. Uh, and thank God that it includes the redemption of all who trust in him. So that's the question for each of you. Do you trust in this Jesus? Do you take his glory seriously? Uh, is this the great reason for us to stop sinning, that it's against him and in his presence? Is he the great solution for our sin that he has received, the wrath that we deserve? Uh, and are we thankful uh, to have been spared completely over against what we deserve? And are we expressing that thankfulness uh, as those who are holy seed, consecrated unto God uh, for obedience to him and service to him? May he grant that we would live that way. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for uh, your goodness to us in giving us even to read and hear this word today, uh, but especially because what this word teaches us is true reality, that you have given yourself for us, that you might give yourself to us, that by your grace we might give ourselves to you. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, impress these things upon us, that we would know that this is the ultimate truth uh, of all things, and that this would be our ultimate truth before you. Help us, we pray, to live by faith in Christ, rejoicing in him, devoted to you, uh, adoring you, grateful for your salvation, we praise you, O God, and uh, we confess how great is our need of your Spirit. Uh, for we have heard these things many times, and we have often uh, slouched into living um, for our flesh and from our flesh. Have mercy, O God, and cleanse us from our unrighteousness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.